0: Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 93 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is an interview by Matt Stankiewicz, Senior Associate at the Volkoff Law Group of Imagine BC CEO, Eric Lynn Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and give the pro- podcast a five-star rating. Second, I wanted to mention that my law firm, the Volkoff Law Group, provides services to cryptocurrency and digital coin companies and blockchain companies as well, including SEC and CFTC representation, implementation of appropriate ethics and compliance programs designed to mitigate enforcement, risks, money laundering, corruption, and sanctions risks as well. We have extensive experience in this area and are frequently retained for our reputation In providing practical and targeted solutions that advance compliance needs, promote an ethical culture, and support business operations. If interested in our services in this area, please contact me at mvolkoff.volkofflaw.com. Now let's turn it over to Matt Stankiewicz for today's interesting interview.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Matt Stankiewicz. I am a senior associate at the Volkoff Law Group and I'm here with another episode exploring the cryptocurrency and blockchain industry. As I've done in the past, I'll be interviewing a blockchain pioneer with some novel ideas on how best to utilize and leverage the technology. <clears throat> Today, I've got with me Mr. Eric Rind, CEO of Imagine BC. Eric is planning to utilize the blockchain to allow users to control their own personal data and information. Data privacy has become a hot topic lately. We often, We know or we seem to understand that Google and Facebook and companies similar are taking all of our data and selling it to the highest bidder. Uh, We've been hearing about GDPR and companies leaking and leaking our data and hackers taking it as as they see fit. So imagine BC is looking to return the control to the individual and provide them with their own opportunities to monetize it. They're going to be building a thriving ecosystem to support this. So, like I mentioned today, I've got Eric Ryan, CEO of Imagine BC. Eric, how are you doing today?
2: Great, Matt. Thanks for having me uh, participate in your podcast.
1: No problem. Glad to have you here. Um, and did some background research on the company. Uh, sounded very interesting. Sounded like it's going to be a lot of fun, um, even to build in the background. So, uh, before we get into you know the details of the company, can you just give us a brief background on who you are and how you came to start this company?
2: <laughs> sure. So. My my background is really as far from the blockchain crypto world as you can imagine. I've spent the better part of almost three decades in what's called the HCM human capital management space, which is HR payroll and benefits. Um, we built a, a boutique solution that competes against the ADPs and paychecks. We're a very small niche player in this market, but had a nice have a nice little you know cash flow positive company. And been doing that since my days at Price Waterhouse as a consultant, and got into the blockchain world, and eventually created this concept of Magic BC as an outgrowth of that HCM business. So first introduced the blockchain, could, didn't really understand it, didn't buy it. Did my own research, did a one eighty, and I truly believe blockchain technology. Now I'm talking about blockchain technology, not as much crypto. The crypto play. I think in, I think inevitably, it's the, you know, the next generation of money will be digital money, hence crypto, but it's certainly not here today. But blockchain technology, that I believe is here today, and we need to get applications out there using it. So I said, hey, how can we have our HCM business utilize this technology? And if you think about an HCM business, think of the private data that we we sit on. We have somebody's social security number, their bank account information, we have their HIPAA compliant information. So we have all this private information stored in a traditionally single database sitting behind the firewall of some cloud service, still susceptible to a hack, a la the Equifax hack that you know we all saw you know a number of months ago. And a small business like me, my God, if I got hacked, you know, I'm gone tomorrow. I don't have the the power of the cloud that Equifax has to survive such a disaster. So I was saying, well, that's a cool way to get into blockchain. Blockchain is a distributed network It allows, you know, node control of information. So what if we push this private information out to our individual users, gave them control over it, therefore securing it far, far greater than we would have in our centralized database. And then when our application needed it, we'd ask them for permission to use it. And that's how we got going. So we're an HCM company trying to use blockchain. And about six months into building a prototype this way, we said, you know, this is all about teaching people to control their own information. And if we have to teach them to do that, doing it through an HCM solution is just not going to be the way. It's about as boring as you get. So we pivoted and we said, well, if we're going to teach people to control their information, what's going to be exciting about that? And the answer, of course, is, hey, I should be making the money from it other than these Third parties such as Google, Facebook, and a myriad of others. So that's how we got into Imagine BC, starting as an HCM company.
1: Oh, very interesting. Now, if we could just step back uh, real quick, because this is something I want to explore. Um, hearing your story about how you got into blockchain, um, can you kind of go over that a little bit? Because I know we have a lot of listeners that um, are interested in this space, but are still fairly skeptical about it. You know, unfortunately, we hear, we hear a lot about hacks and, and you know, lost money in Bitcoin, lost money. And so from what I understand, like you said, you, got, you heard about it, weren't really interested, looked into it a little more, and then it finally all started to come together.
2: Is that correct? That's correct. So, yeah, it, that, that happened this way. So, I actually was down at a conference called the Export Import Bank Conference here in the DC area where I live. And I was introduced to a fellow by the name of John Cronin, who's involved with another blockchain uh, group called Billcoin.com. And rather than participating in the conference as I was supposed to, I spent two days with John. And John was a complete Buyer, you know zealot of blockchain technology and he spent two days trying to convince me how it was going to change the world And me being as old as I am was naturally skeptical and by the end of the two days I, I you know I kind of said I was getting to understand the technology But my opinion of it was kind of what you just said Matt, which is okay You're telling me this thing is can't be hacked I don't believe that I believe anything could be hacked if you have enough power to bring to bear and even worse <laughs> right. Mike right and even worse if it is hacked Oh my God, now you're talking like the Titanic, right? The Titanic <laughs> sailed out and was supposedly unsinkable. And because it was supposedly unsinkable, nobody put any safety hatches in it, watertight compartments. So the ship that went down like a stone. So, so I'm going, my God, what you're telling me is when the, when the thing is hacked, Forget it, you we could take down the entire world' economy <laughs>
1: catastrophic right <laughs> catastrophic
2: <laughs> right, so that's how I left the conference but but to be honest, i wasn't fully understanding the cryptography and you know behind it all, but John was such a zealot, and he's not a dumb guy <laughs> at all, so I said, "Look, I really need to understand this better so that's when I started to do my own research. I started to read a number of technical journals on the the mathematics behind it the cryptography behind it and how it is truly secured and really the game changing book for me was one called blockchain revolution written by the uh, by Tapscott dad and Tapscott son and those guys did an excellent job of explaining the true power of what blockchain can bring to the world in a non technical framework and ultimately, at the end, what I realized was that what blockchain allows us to do is to remove what were trusted third parties that we needed as the world was advancing and getting to the point where we are today. But you can't help but read the news and see these trusted third parties are letting us down. I mean, Arthur Anderson is gone, Enron. You know, just go, list goes on, Equifax, you right. could just and even our government, and I don't want to make this a political discussion, but even losing faith in our own government. these are the trusted third parties we needed as an expanding people. After reading Blockchain Revolution, I understood that if it's properly installed and applications are built properly on this technology, we can now once again conduct peer-to-peer commerce without the need for a third party because blockchain with solid applications instills trust, peer-to-peer trust back in the system. So, you know, that that's how I got there. Those were kind of the sources. Interestingly enough, you said, you know, people are reading about hacks of Bitcoin, but in truth, Bitcoin itself, to my knowledge, the ledger has never been hacked. The exchanges have been. Now, the exchanges are just other software that's not secured. It, right, it's not. They're not getting into somebody's electronic wallet and stealing money from it. They're actually stealing money from the exchanges before they've been posted to the electronic wallet. So, to, again, to my knowledge, I don't know of where a true, you know, um, coin wallet has ever been hacked because the mathematics behind it's pretty solid
1: right and i I appreciate that you know that background and that summary um this is kind of something that we've explored in prior podcasts it seems that every time i've everyone who i know that has done their due diligence and done some research into the blockchain or cryptocurrency in, in general and No one has ever said, you know what? This isn't for me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think there's anything here. This this isn't it. So, um, Yeah, ho- hopefully, you know, it sounds like you're on the uh, zealot side now as well. <laughs> so right. hopefully you'll be able to con- convince a few more with this podcast. <laughs> but,
2: but that being said, it's also not the great panacea of everything, right? It's right. not the solution to all the world's ills, but right. it can <laughs> be the solution to probably mo- some of the most significant ills it has today. But it certainly doesn't solve everything. I still I still don't see how you would do surgery through blockchain. I'm sure somebody will think that up, but I mean, there are just numerous low-hanging fruit applications we can get started with right away that'll help advance society in a positive direction
1: right so that you know so that's a good segue into you know your company now imagine bc so you gave us kind of brief description about how it started um you know know, your vision for it but can you describe now your your current mission and just dive in a little deeper on what you're looking to build
2: yeah sure i mean our mission is pretty straightforward in that we absolutely believe that it's the right of the individual to control and monetize their personal information. So if you look at what's going on out there <laughs> and the visual image we like to draw is that the Googles and the Amazons are the factories and we, we the individuals are just their raw material. We're, we're just marching into this hopper and they're carving us up to create their product that they sell to create fortunes unknown to humankind. I mean, you have to go back to the robber barons of the Gilded Age even have a comparison, but the money that you know Sergey Brin and, and Zuckerberg and Bezos have is far greater than even what Vanderbilt and, and Mellon had in the Gilded Age, and they're doing it not on our sweat like the Gilded Age robber barons did, but they're doing it on our personal data. So it, it's wrong for many reasons. Not illegal, you know. Don't get me wrong; they're not doing anything illegal. It's just wrong. And we, we Imagine BC, feel that somebody needs to step up, represent the people, and offer them an alternative. And that alternative is for them to have control using blockchain technology and then ha- combine together the power of we, the people. Imagine BC will help create the money-making opportunities for each individual. That's our mission.
1: So in doing this, it sounds like you're going to be offering features to to the to the entire audience. You've got the users coming in that have their personal data, and that's that's effectively the economy. So it's going to benefit them. Um, Can you explain how it's going to also benefit uh, the marketers, the content creators, and the others that are um, that may be able to leverage this company?
2: Yeah, I could do that. And in a previous podcast, it's I, just a classic example I kind of go back to. We call it our Bobby example because I had a, a guy who's a simple real estate house slipper guy here in my office who's currently spending, you know, north of $10,000 a year doing digital advertising on Google. And not getting the the return on investment from it. And there's enough, you know, there's fraud in that system. You can understand that some people, there's value, and many, many people are, are learning there's not a lot of value in digital advertising. So he heard about what we're doing. He came in to hear how we can help him solve his problem better. And what's his problem? You know, he's looking for five or six leads on each side, either five or six leads to buy or five or six leads to sell. So here I took him through this kind of example. So Bobby, I said, you know, you're looking for five or six, let's say, homes to buy, somebody to sell sell you their home. So today you're spending, as we just said, north of $10,000 to find five or six of these leads. Here's, we have this community that hopefully will have, you know, millions of people in it, but you're really only interested around here. So you can now use our suite of tools and for free, you can get a preliminary list of how many people are, would even be leads. So you can get onto what we call our biz portal and ask how many people in the community own a home or within a certain economic range, meet your basic criteria, and we'll show, show you how many of those people we have. In today's world, Matt, Bobby would typically have to spend a lot of money to get that kind of a list, and then he'd have to worry about the quality of the list. We're providing that to him now for free, because on the other side, our community stays anonymous. He doesn't have any value in it yet. It's a starting point, but it's a free starting point. So at least he sees that, that hey, there's something here. So I set an example. Let's say you got 1,000 hits. Let's say we had 1,000 people that met your initial criteria. I say, now, what you have to find out is, are they qualified leads? So what we'd like you to do is go ahead and send a survey out to those 1,000 people and pay them a dollar to complete the survey. Bobby says, yeah, I could do that. I'll whip five questions up. It'll take them 15 seconds to complete. So we're gonna pay somebody a dollar for 15 seconds of their life. If you do that math, that turns out to be a pretty reasonable return on your time. So you make a dollar, you answer Bobby's questions, those 1,000 people send in the responses, and let's say out of that, Bobby sees there's 200 people who look like they're qualified leads. They may be somebody he wants to go to the next step with. So that next step would be, now he takes that ad he previously ran on Google, which was just out there irritating people, hitting people that probably doesn't belong to be on their screens. But now he sends that just targeted to these 200 people, and he pays each of them another dollar. To watch that ad and we gain and we imagine BC deliver that ad within our community. Our member watches that ad. They provide some feedback. We provide that feedback to Bobby. And from that, Bobby now says, oh, wow, look, I got 20 people who really look good. I want to be able to speak to those people. So at this point, Bobby does what we call a direct offer. He now sends out a, a request to those 20 people and says, look, I'm going to, I'm willing to pay you what he'll pay 50. They'll receive 35 in our economy. So they'll receive $35 for 20 minutes of their life to sit and have a phone conversation with Bobby. And to do that, our person now has to release their private information from their blockchain wallet. So Bobby can, can uh, contact them. And it was at this point in the conversation when Bobby said, stop. You got me. You're going to quadruple my business. And look how much money Bobby's in. He was $1,000 in originally, put another $200 in when we sent the ad in, and maybe sent another $1,000 in if all 20 people took his $50 offer. So he's $2,200 in, but he's already said that we're going to, hey, quadruple his business. So Bobby's seriously happy because he's saving money and increasing business. Our community members have monetized their data. At least $1,000 have gotten a good return for 15 seconds. I mean a thousand people got good return for fifteen seconds of their life. Two hundred people, two people made two dollars for a return, a positive return, and a lucky twenty made, you know, another two bucks or fifty bucks on top of that, or thirty on top of that. So the community's happy. They're monetizing their data. They've been in control of it. They weren't the stuff wasn't popping up. They're not getting texted. They're not being irritated. They've seen these offers when they've wanted to see them and they've replied if they've wanted replied. So they're happy. So yeah. and now go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say, I, I like that aspect from the user perspective. Um, so I'm not a, I'm not a marketer. I mean, I, you know, I obviously appreciate the uh, value there. But as an individual that's constantly surfing the web, um, you know, I'll admit I run a variety of ad blockers, um, you block, um, you know, privacy um, extensions and all that just because I got sick of all the flashing ads always coming in my face. <laughs> right. If I had a little more control over what I would see, I really don't have a problem with um, you know, giving these content creators the ad revenue that they need, but it's just gotten a, a bit too out of hand and I just... <laughs> <You've> hit, <laughs> I and and Matt, you hit it right
2: on your head. Many studies show that, it, it, certainly studies done in America, I can't tell you about the world, but certainly there, there are studies done with Americans, and Americans respond saying they're not adverse to seeing an ad as long as it, the ad has two things. It's a value to them. You know, what's being advertised is a value to them. And secondly, it, it's not irritating. <laughs> so you're irritated, you're using ad blockers to stop yep. that irritation <laughs> in our world we've irritated. removed right we've removed both because you'll only receive ads based on the profile information that you have put in about yourself so if you if you're receiving ads that are not of value, it's probably because you haven't put information in that's correct about yourself that's one, and two, you're in complete control all of these offers go into four distinct buckets within our mobile app and it's up to you when and how often you want to look at them and respond to them so you never get push notifications from us nothing shows up on your screens anywhere we never communicate with a member outside of our mobile application and it's our member who always has control over that mobile application
1: great uh, like i said as a regular standard garden variety internet user that That strikes a chord with me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, now, uh, the the, the variant of that is where you can bring the advertisers into it. Because now, a slight variation in that same game, imagine somebody who currently posts to YouTube. Now, instead, they post their content to us. The difference is, instead of posting their content to YouTube as they do today for free and hoping a bunch of people hit it and hoping that YouTube will cut them a check out of the goodness of their heart, In our environment, they're going to post and they're going to put a price on their intellectual property, which we believe. We believe everybody should always be compensated for their intellectual property. But that's a significant change on the consumer side because the consumer is used to getting that content for free. Now you're saying I have to pay you? That's a little different. But here's how we hopefully solve that problem because this is, again, all going on within just this device in your hand that you're used to holding. So let's say you know that YouTube provider was going to charge you $0.25 now for that content. Well, you want to earn $0.25. Cents. Well, you remember, oh my gosh, I may have a survey or an ad, you know, a bunch of ads. I haven't responded to them yet, but now I want to earn $0.25. Cents. So I'll run over there, spend 15 seconds, earn $0.25, cents, and then spend it. So now the advertiser is having their content consumed, because, which may not have been consumed because of how the ecosystem is working. A user may have passed, but now because they want to earn to be able to buy, they'll now consume more ads.
1: Right so the economy essentially grows around the essentially the monetization of time and and data is that, is that correct
2: correct and intellectual property right your personal data around time, your your time and your intellectual creativity awesome it just i just you know we we just We we actually started that way, right? We just said, "Look, it is is criminal that how how people have been tricked into giving up their intellectual property for nothing, and that needs to stop. It needs to stop because many of us have, you know, valuable intellectual property that we don't even know we can monetize yet. But with you look how technology is going on in the country and and in the world, and the job displacement that's probably going to happen, we need to create new ways for people to make money. So. Right. intellectual property and time are big so we have to create applications that allow people to cash in on that it's theirs so we can't be tricked into giving this stuff away for nothing we have to start everybody has to start charging for it so what we hope is yes intellectual property people will now start charging for their intellectual property but on the backside, as i said hopefully you can earn that money very quickly by using your personal monetizing your personal data to you know to to pay what you want for what you want to buy in our community, so it works and, as a very fluid ecosystem.
1: And I do think people tend to undervalue just how valuable their personal data is. I mean, there's a reason oh. why Facebook is a multi-billion-dollar yeah. company now at this point, and they Absolutely. don't sell products.
2: So right, and it's not just Facebook, right? It's it's everybody you've mentioned so far. It, it, you know, my favorite is you know, I, I do I I do like to pick on Twenty Three and Me because I just think it's it's insanity, right? So. People pay $100 to find it, to get a genetics test for 23andMe to tell them, really, they are who they, they probably knew who they were, <laughs> right? So you paid $100 to find out you are who you are. And then 23andMe, again, legally, turns around and sells your data to GlaxoSmithKline and turns out to be, like, for $1,000 a head. So I paid you $100 so you can make another 1000 from me. That is, <laughs> right, again, it's not illegal, but it's right. like morally criminal. Right. <laughs> it, just, it just has to stop. Somebody has to do something about it. And that's where we get into who's the somebody. Well, the truth is, it's not imagined BC alone. I mean, you know, we wish we could do it alone, but we can't. We, as a people, have to do it together. So we kind of see ourselves as organizers, almost like, the again, going back to the Gilded Age, like the labor unions were we have to get people to understand that none of us alone can take these guys on anymore it's only we together can do that and if we do then some good things can happen
1: right so in order to bring all the people together you're you're putting together a product um i've read some of the descriptions of it and the essentially the central piece of it is what's called the imaginarium is that right and you know can can you explain what what exactly that is
2: well, the Imaginarium will be where the content providers upload their content and where the rest of our community can go and, and find content that they're interested in. That's what the Imaginarium is. So that'll cover areas like, um, you know, people who want to upload stories or songs, right? Classic in- digital intellectual property. But it can go deeper than that. I mean, we have some agreements with some, with an outfit that has a network of social workers. So if you're in need of speaking to a social worker, We can bring an entire network of, you know, of that to you. We've got some educational services built into it. So think the Imaginarium, there'll be a school and you can go and be tutored by, you know, advisors from all over the world and you'll be able to check, you know, pick that. We, you know, we, we like, we have uh, access to our, we we have our own 23andMe. We have a partner in the DNA world, but it allows you to monetize your DNA information. So that will all be done in the Imaginarium. So it's where the, con- it's where the Imagineer is where our content providers meet our content consumers within our community.
1: Oh, very interesting. Okay. I didn't, know, I didn't realize it was going to be that broad. So yeah, you've education. I mean, it's not all,
2: it'll all come at once, but it's right. all going to, it's all there. Yeah. I mean, that it, it it's kind of mind boggling. Even, it, you know, I, even when I'm speaking with people, I learn as I speak with people, which is what's so fascinating about this. So we have an educational partner who's bringing a, a tremendous solution around um, career prep. So you kind of tell their solution where you are in your life and you kind of give them a goal of where you'd like to be. So you could do it for yourself. You may have a child, let's say you have a child and you want them to be, you know, let's say he's in the ninth grade and you'd love them to be able to have a career path in mechanical engineering. So you'd be able to use their software to say, Hey, look, I've got a ninth grader. This is where they are. I'd like them to get a career path in mechanical engineering. And this software will send you back and, a career path to follow to increase the likelihood that your child will have a career at the time they they have all the appropriate degrees and, and college education. And they'll help you monitor. So if the child gets off path, they'll let you know that. Now, that's where that software stopped. Now, here's where we pick up. So let's say your child is off path. Well, then we might have a community of tutors who can help you get back on path. And that's how I was imagining the first, you know, originally, oh, yeah, if my kid's falling behind, let's say, in trigonometry, I can find a tutor within the community to help them catch up on their trigonometry. I was explaining this to my social worker group, and my social worker group said, Eric, that child may not be falling behind because they're falling behind in trigonometry. They could be falling behind because they're getting bullied at school. And, you know, I kind of stopped and hadn't even dawned to me. She said, now with our network of social workers, we can help fill that gap. And, and I started thinking, you know, people people are able to bring creative solutions to what we're creating far beyond what even we can think of. So we're the enablers, but it's really these intellectual property holders who will bring incredible solutions through our community because of this enablement of peer to peer commerce.
1: Oh, okay. I see. Very interesting. <laughs> this is a, yeah. This is a little broader than I than I first expected. I'm, I'm glad we're
2: yeah. Everybody we're gets rise, it right, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, pe- people have a hard time getting grips. So, oh, people think we're an advertising site. No, we're not an advertising site. <laughs> we're primarily a site where people get to monetize their time and their intellectual property. Now, for, on that I mean, to do that, you have to have consumers, and we want to help the consumers buy by helping them earn from their personal data. Not everybody is an intellectual property holder, but they still may want to consume the goods from inside our community. So we can still help them by putting their personal data to work for them. Gotcha.
1: So just spreading value all around at this point.
2: Yeah. In fact, I like to say it's rare to have a, where everybody wins, but everybody in this <laughs> in this ecosystem wins with the exception of the guys we've been discussing. And right. I'm not going to cry for them because they're <laughs> never going to be poor. All right. We, we right. don't have to weep for them. <laughs> great, so um i have been
1: I've seen some um some of these marketing ideas in the past um you know offering surveys and similar for um, for, uh, for paid surveys and similar uh, too often they get overcome with um, just people taking advantage of it. It could be um, through automating the surveys through bots and things like that. so what are you doing to prevent uh, that from that from over from overtaking imagine b c
2: yeah that's that's a great question, Matt. and that gets to the core of what imagine BC's role is within the community. so we we see ourselves, we have two roles. First is to create commercial opportunities between our members, find opportunities for our members to monetize their personal information or help our content providers find a community. That's number one. But to make that happen, number two really comes before number one, which is, we have to ensure to all of our members that when a member in our community is who they say they are and they're only in our community once. And that is so critical. The second is more important than the first. The fact that you're only in here once increases the quality of each of our members' data dramatically over everything else out there. So we, we put every member through what we call a verification process. And at the end of that process, their trust score will go up to a level based on how much of the verification they were willing to participate in. So when you come into our community, remember, everybody stays anonymous unless they want to give up their identity. So the way one member knows another member is through what we call their trust score and their reputation score. The trust score says that you're, you are who you say you are, and that you are only in here once. So the higher your score, the more every member will know that you're just like them. You've gone through the same process. The reputation score, everybody there starts at what we call a fair level, and then that kind of measures how honorably you're acting within the community. If you try to game the community and we catch you, you're to lo- we're, we're gonna lower your reputation score. If your reputation score gets lowered enough, you're gonna be eliminated from all money earning opportunities. So you have to decide, is gaming it in one area worth the loss of opportunity in all the other areas? So we have both a verification responsibility and essentially a policing responsibility to ensure that members are acting honorably within the community.
1: Now, uh, building on that, I've heard that you're also going to be incorporating artificial intelligence into the platform. So is it with regards to that? Um, I know there's yep. another topic that we, we yep. probably talk for hours on. I don't want to get too deep into <laughs> it, <laughs> but it's interesting. Well, uh, yeah, yeah so I just got uh, to explain how it, you're it, utilizing yeah. it. Yeah,
2: it's funny you brought it up, Matt, because, in, in fact, I named the company Imagine BC. It, it, the way that we got the name is I was actually driving to the airport one day. And I was listening to Lennon's song Imagine. I was listening to those lyrics. And if you think of an Imagine a World with No Governments, and I'm saying, wow, like, you know, Lennon knew decades ago what the promise of blockchain was. He was eliminating these third parties. Now, we still trusted him back then, so he was probably way ahead of his time. Not surprising for John Lennon, but I said, that's cool. So, Imagine became the name, and I said, "Wow, you know, let's, and then we had blockchain, so I threw the BC on there for blockchain. But in truth, we use blockchain to secure your information, but to do those two functions that are critical, your, the verification and the policing that's all ai and machine learning and we have a tremendous partner out west a company called we are ai who we've been very lucky to partner with who's helping us build our use cases there and in fact john vigoro the ceo he he, he and i laugh all the time so he says eric if you if you you know met us before you named the company you you would have called the company imagine ai so and he's he's not wrong so if you think about it, matt, the the AI is is absolutely essential because that those are the same tools that the Amazons and the googles and the and the Facebooks are using to create this incredible wealth for themselves. We like at imagine BC like to say is we're democratizing the use of it. So in partnership with We are AI, we're building the same type of tools to handle those functions I just talked about, create opportunities for our members and to keep the honor amongst our members. So it's critical to be able to do it over you know, what we hope will be an incredibly large community that you have to use these tools. But we're using them on behalf of our members, not against our members. And, and that's why we like to think we're democratizing them. Couldn't do it without the technologies, but we're putting those technologies to work for our members.
1: Great. So sh- shifting back to uh, you know the blockchain technology, um, all the data is going to be on the blockchain and going to be secured by that um like we had talked, there's been a lot of hacks of a lot of data leaking. There's been a lot of legislation coming out with GDPR and certainly going to be some data privacy legislation coming up in the U S eventually. How are you able or planning to secure all that data that you're, that you're going, going to be holding?
2: Uh, Take that in kind of a couple of steps. First, let's, let's, let's attack the GDPR one first. We imagine BC love GDPR. In fact, GDPR probably wishes everybody would behave like Imagine BC because GDPR says companies need to go get the permission of their users right before they start using their data.
1: Right. But, it, and I, I just mean, want to you're, say, you're,
2: you're, one a, of the, you, you're I, a lawyer, I, Matt. <laughs> I, I was, <laughs>
1: right? was going to say, I hate to interrupt you, but you're one of the very few people I've heard that say they love GDPR. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I said, I said, GDPR should love us. And, you know, <laughs> right. So you're a lawyer, you realize, that, and, and, I'm a, and I'm married to a lawyer, so I live with lawyers. A good lawyer is going to get around that because they're going to bury that permission into the terms of service, right? They'll find their ways around that where the user still won't really understand what they're giving up. Imagine BC, we're not just GDPR compliant. We don't ever really have to do what GDPR is saying because we don't even have access to the data without our user's permission. It's the user who decided to put it in. It's the user who's decided to release it. We only look for opportunities based on what they've provided. If you provide us nothing, we can make you nothing. The more you provide, the more money we'll be able to make, have you make. But it's you, the user, who are in total control, not an issue of permission to let me then go make money from you. That's not our model. You're in total control of your data, and we use it to make money for you. So, it's, it's, you know, we're, it, I wouldn't say we're, we're absolutely GDPR compliant, but GDPR, it doesn't even go far enough for where we are. So, we love it because it's creating awareness of what we're doing, but the next step is to do what we're doing. Awesome, then, yeah. Right, so, then, so that's the first step. Now, the second one is the security of it. So, two styles of blockchains, right? There's private and public blockchains. So, the Bitcoins, the Ethereums, they're public blockchains because they're financial transactions being published on, on on public ledgers. So they need to be public blockchains. We're just securing people's information and making sure they have control of it. So we don't necessarily need to be a public blockchain. And in fact, we're not deploying that way. We're deploying is what's called a private blockchain, which means we're using the advantages of blockchain, but it's within, we, we've selected Microsoft Azure's cloud. So Microsoft Azure has a blockchain implementation Within their Azure cloud. So now our users actually have two levels of security. First, if a bad, you know, black hat or a bad person tries to break into our environment and get at your data, first they'd have to figure out how to break through Microsoft Azure's normal firewalls and cloud. Good luck to you, but obviously good hackers can do it. But once you get through there, you then have to figure out how to mount what's called a 51% attack to be able to get to any you know control the nodes on the network to get the people's data to do that in today's world <laughs> it through microsoft azure cloud before microsoft found it out to shut it down good luck to you probably not going to happen and, and for your listeners who you know a 51% attack means that because the way blockchain works it requires consensus amongst all the nodes so as long as 51% of the nodes on a distributed network agree data could be posted it could be posted so the way blockchains are are deployed, it's virtually impossible for any single entity to ever gain control of 51% of these nodes to their to themselves. It would take the Chinese or, or, or the United States government, that kind of strength and power, to try to even launch those kinds of attacks. And you've read about a couple. There, there have been some launched recently that you've read have been smashed down. And they've been launched against the public exchanges. So it just... A person securing their information and then controlling it within a blockchain within the Azure cloud has a double layer of security. The blockchain is secure by itself, and then having it sit within a private blockchain within Azure's cloud gives you just an extra layer of, of you know of confidence that no bad guy is going to get through to your data.
1: Appreciate you simplifying the uh, the fifty one uh, percent attack because I think that's a concept that. Uh, yeah, a lot of our listeners uh, were are curious about. Um, so I, I guess my next question, building on that, is do you ever anticipate, imagine BC being big enough where the U.S. government, <laughs> you're going head-to-head against the U.S. government where they need to <laughs> hack into your system?
2: Uh, <laughs> I hope not. I <laughs> hope, hope, hope the U.S. government never feels they have to hack in. But you you raise an incredibly interesting point, and one we're, we're dealing with almost on a daily basis as we get closer and closer to our launch, which is Go go back for a bit and, and remember what I said. Look, Imagine BC does a verification process to ensure you are who you say you are. But after we've completed that verification process, which we hope will take no more than about forty-eight hours, we eliminate your data, so we don't even know who you are anymore. Even Imagine BC will not know who you are. That's why all communication has to exist within our closed loop application. And, and it's it's actually pretty funny. I'm sure you have a lot of legal types who listen to you. So can you imagine the conversations I have with my own lawyers as we're writing our privacy policy and they're sending back things like, oh, and you'll have to be contacted by email. And I keep returning to them. No, 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 no. They can't email us. We don't want to know who they are anymore. (laughs) The only way they can report an issue to us of any type has to be through the application. So because we don't know who you are, we we do have some interesting issues coming up. If Imagine BC is the wild success, we hope it will be, because now you'll have people earning income through our application, and you know the government's going to want to have their fair slice of that. But we don't even know who they are. <laughs> so, oh, okay.
1: Very that's, that's a
2: unique wrinkle. I didn't I didn't realize that right? And the other wrinkle is the whole, the, you know, the, the, the Supreme Court, the recent Supreme Court ruling regarding whether, you know, uh, third parties need to collect state state uh, sales tax. Mm-hmm. You know, we're dealing with that one now, right? Because we're not, we don't, we're just a broker here, right? Who, who's the vendor? <laughs> and it, what what jurisdiction is it done in? And then, we don't even know who they are. <laughs> the best we know is the zip code from which one person did a transaction with another person. But you know who, who, who reports the income and how does it get reported? Our, our lawyers are thinking through this. It, these no <laughs> these. <laughs> we'll, these will be questions that'll have to be asked. But but right. blockchain is going to challenge many of our preconceived ideas of what a contract is and what our obligations are to, to the to third parties, even third parties such as the government. They'll they'll write laws, but they're gonna to have to they're gonna to have to move fast. Right. This technology doesn't stop. It keeps moving through. And if you start if we create an ecosystem where people are starting to create passive income you'll be hard pressed as a politician to write regulations that'll shut that down. <laughs> I don't see that going over very well. Right. So it'll, it'll, it'll be <laughs> we'll an won't interesting, i dis- trying, but <laughs> <laughs> probably won't, right. but it'll be an interesting discussion. I mean, I don't even have the answers for it. My, our lawyers don't and our accountants don't, we're all kind of, wow, we'll have to you know, It's kind of in a wait and see mode. Let's see what happens when, you know, knock on wood, we're hopefully that's successful that successful. It starts to rise up. We'll have to figure out a way. I mean, people, right. people are you know, people are responsible for reporting their income on the honor system, really. If you went to a casino, right, and you won $8,000 at a casino, you're supposed to report that on your income. How many right. people do, right? <laughs> right. No, certainly not. Yeah, certainly not. The casino <laughs> doesn't have to unless you, you cash in for over 10 grand. They're only required yeah. over 10 grand. So, if you want eight thousand, they don't have a record of you doing it. You're supposed to report it. Honor system. We kind of fall into that right now too. But if we get to be large enough to where there's significant, you know, money running through it, and income run, and what government would classify as income, then they're going to want to figure out a way to make sure that gets reported on your taxes. Right. We'll wait and we'll wait and see what they hear. We're not, you know, we're not going to knock on their door and say, Hey, here we are. (laughs) They'll have to catch up. So this opens up, you know, a really interesting topic
1: because the blockchain world, cryptocurrency in general, whatever, it, it's it's still the Wild West at this point. Um, it's introducing a whole, whole slew of new problems that no one's really sure how, how to handle just yet. And, you know, like you huh. said, regulators are obviously going to have to tackle this at some point. Um, but right now, they're somewhat in a wait-and-see approach. Um, you know, th- there's a little bit of uncertainty, so yeah you know it's I wanted to ask how you were handling that um uncertainty, but it, you know you really just you touched on you just, you had just touched on that um so in terms of like the regulation and what you want to see um if you had a chance to talk to a regulator um about blockchain, you know what do you think they need to know how should they approach um this industry
2: yeah I think they they need to get with it and embrace it now, even they will have to do it. In, in steps. Ultimately to truly secure our personal identities, the government should realize that when a child is born, instead of receiving a social security card, their wallet, their electronic wallet should be started and that's their identity. And then everything about them is is on their, on that blockchain and therefore that individual can securely control it. Now that's a newborn and that's the future, right? Because we can't go backwards to that. I like to you know people think imagine BC, oh you're giving you securing my data and I say no 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 we're not securing your data. It's out there already, right? You've lost it. Right. You, can't, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. So the, what we hope, we're telling you to do is get control of it again. We're helping you get control of it, but we're not, you can't put it back in the bottle. Now, truthfully, in the future, if the government truly adopts blockchain and our identities are secured in our own electronic wallets, that's great. But that's A to Z and be government. You know, you get, it's hard enough to get the government to go to A to B. So I'd like to see the government in two areas. And I think some of the states are starting to do it. I mean, it's a state by state issue right now, but certainly motor vehicle ownership and land ownership. Totally paper driven things right now. Think of electronic, but it's still just an electronic form of paper. Right. A deed is still an electronic form of paper. So instead, those, those documents and those transactions should be stored on the blockchain to where it can't be hacked and it's immutable. And interestingly enough, when, it, when I was doing my research, learning a black blockchain, I went to an early symposium sponsored by a law firm. And the guy up there was working with Cook County in Chicago on exactly that in the land title area. And Cook County was had an early pilot project to start putting all deeds onto the blockchain. And I said, you know, I was thinking in my head, great. So I raised my hand and I asked a question. I said, awesome. But... When a a problem occurs and there's a question over which one wins, the paper one or the blockchain one, which one wins? And the guy goes, the paper. I said, then what are you doing? (laughs) What have you done? So, you know, to answer your question, Matt, is the governments have to embrace that it's not the paper copy anymore. They have to understand that it's going to be not an electronic copy of that paper, but the blockchain secured provenance of ownership of these assets that has to be accepted by the government and by courts. And, you know, we'll have to, we'll, we can't take them all at once. We're going to have to take them one at a time. Ownership of property, you know, cars and homes is a good place to start because government's involved with that, and it's it's a good place in any. And as they get used to that concept, then we could get to, hopefully, the Z, which is then all of our our lives are secured by, you know, to our own control from the time of our birth. So, so building on
1: that, um, you know, it sounds like you, you see blockchain as, um, not quite to this extent, but taking over the world, filling in a lot of the gaps where, um, we have, you know, a ton of inefficiencies, you know, the paper trails are difficult to follow and things like that. So, you know, just in terms of the blockchain industry in general, you know, where do you think it goes in the next five, 10, even 20 years?
2: I think, I think, um. Inevitably, what I just said will happen is that there are enough states who are starting to to dip their toe in the water on securing the provenance of assets on it. So I think, you know, in five years is not a lot of time in the term of government. So if we, right. get, if we can get half the states in five years to accept that it's the blockchain record of ownership of a home that, that is the true record, that would be incredible. Now, one of the things, reasons I started Imagine BC, and many is that me being a realist, because, uh, you know, the, the young millennials of the world, they want to go right to Z, right? They, the ones who see the future the way I do, they want to go right there. Why can't we go right there? That's how it has to be. <laughs> I've been around long enough to know you, you don't push a stone uphill. So with Imagine BC, if we can create enough awareness of the positive impacts of blockchain, as you mentioned, it would get government's attention pretty fast. And if nothing else, hopefully that will accelerate the process. But it's still government they don't move very quickly so five years (laughs) yeah five years I, i would be astonished if we could even get like half the states to recognize that land ownership the true record of it is on the blockchain and then just just eliminate all those paper records you just simply don't need them anymore that would be really good and well DMV would be great but other technologies are getting you know well, we even need cars 5 years from now but that's a different story right so but the DMV would be still have cars games, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right so but that would be another great place to go right? right and 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 I know Rhode Island is starting to look into that and a couple other states are starting to look in into putting DMV records on the blockchain as well so you know why do I have to have this driver's license this laminated thing in my wallet that can you know be forged my you know once I pass my driver's test on my identity, on my blockchain should be enough. That can't be hacked, can't be changed. Governments have to learn this is a good thing, not a bad thing. I don't think they understand that yet.
1: Yeah, I'm not, not, you know, 100% sure exactly where they stand. I mean, I know there's definitely some advocates for it um, in the government, but on the opposite side, there's certainly um, individuals that don't understand it or are afraid of it and, you know, don't want it just yet. But to some extent, I think they are taking somewhat of a reasoned approach at this point. I think the fact that they haven't been heavy-handed and you know completely outlawed it and haven't rushed in regulations means that they um, at least appreciate that there is a possibility of value here. Um, and you know, I, I think they're still in the knowledge-gathering stage. And I hope, hope, fingers crossed, uh, we'll see a reasoned approach in the near future at least. I,
2: and I think I think you hit the nail on the head. You're absolutely right. The, I mean. The, at least the government hasn't taken a heavy handed approach. Right. They're allowing the market to kind of drive the next steps of it. Right. But, but if it's going to be accepted there, the government will have to run pilot projects to, like like something that, you know, like, like land title where you could you could. I mean, it's so easy to see the advantage of that. Uh, anybody can get into a records office and create, change that paper before <laughs> <laughs> it
0: burn, right?
2: <laughs> and Think of the cost of ensuring that those things don't happen. Instead, you could just have that you know, secured to the individual, and they could produce it when needed because it's sitting there always in their control. Right. You know, plenty, of, plenty of use cases coming down the pipe.
1: I mean, the future is definitely bright. Um, in terms of Imagine BC's role in the industry, I mean, where are you at right now with the company? Um, and can you kind of give a brief timeline of you know what's coming down what 's coming down the pipe for you
2: Yes, yeah, so we're we're like on the verge of our launch, so ne- probably towards the middle of the end of next month we 're launching in, in four phases so our phase one is simply going to be launching to friends and family we hope to grow our community to about ten thousand members through friends and family and that 's really just a, a solid live beta test of the application. Phase two is some of our network partners, who I discussed earlier, our social, uh, you know, our social worker network and our education network, bringing their communities into our application. And if those go successful, that should be done by probably by the end of August. And therefore, our community should be up, hopefully north of about a hundred thousand members by then. Our third phase will start to go to our general invitation release. So through a number of avenues of distribution channel, distribution channel connections, we've collected an inventory of about 20 million people to invite electronically to join the community through third parties who are partnering with us. So it won't be Imagine BC sending out a spam to 20 million people. It will be third parties, such as labor unions or other types of associations, and we have partnered with staffing companies. So from an established name that a person understands, they're going to be invited by those third parties to join community and and, and reap the advantages that we've been discussing of the community. So phase three is just to test that messaging out to make sure we're we're getting the right message. And what I mean by that is I spoke about this to hundreds and hundreds of people already met one-on-one, and not one has ever said, why wouldn't I do this? It's a free application that's going to make me money. (laughs) Right. Right. It's that simple, right? (laughs) Why why wouldn't I try this? (laughs) What's the downside here? So that's easy enough to get somebody to say one on one, finding that right message electronically. That's what we're looking, my marketing team is looking for. And that's what we'll be testing in phase three. And then probably come September, um, probably come October. We'll start sending out the the bulk of those electronic messages via our third parties. And what we hope is podcasts like yourself, we've, we're going to have a short PBS documentary running in the fall that's going to introduce our story through block, you know, our Imagine BC story through blockchain. So we're hoping that people have already started to hear our name. So they'll connect that to this invitation when they get it. And they'll do exactly that. They'll download it and start to reap the benefits. We're not going to be able to make a lot of people money if our community is 100 people. But if our community is a million people or 2 million or 10 million, we'll start to make everybody a lot of money.
1: It's all very exciting, Eric. you got a got a lot on your plate coming up. Um, I know we're getting close to our, our wrap-up time. Um, so at, at this point, you, you do you have any more final thoughts for, uh, for our listeners?
2: Really, <laughs> I think I just said it. the key is <laughs> when you hopefully you're going to receive one of our invitations and when you do download and join the cause because we, we imagine BC, we, we see it as a cause. Yes, we're a company. We're for profit. We and, and I, I guess I didn't speak about that. Right. So when so, when a transaction is completed in our application, we're not giving anything away for free. Because we've helped create that transaction, we take a flat ten percent fee off of all transactions. The seller always keeps seventy percent and the other twenty percent gets distributed amongst the community. So ninety percent of the cost of every transaction goes to some member, and we always take ten. So we're a for profit business. You know, it's we don't have to bundle your data up because that ten percent fee is is of, of lots of transactions. We make a lot of money. So we know there's a lot of money we made that. So we really see it as a cause. And we believe so so wholeheartedly in the fact that somebody needs to be doing this. We're happy. We seem to be out ahead of it. We're happy that our message is resonating. So, you know, people listening, get onto our website, communicate with us, talk with us, but mostly spread the word that this is something that needs to be done. We, the people need to take back control of our information.
1: That's, that's great to hear. Uh, yeah, just, uh, if you don't mind, um, where can our listeners find more about you? Uh, you know, what's your website? Do you have uh, social media? Uh, I'll yep, include the, in the
2: show notes, but yeah, feel free to, uh, yeah, the, uh, the website's here. www.imaginebc.net and all of our social media, you know, connections are off of that. And our true production website should be launching next week on the 28th. So good timing for this podcast. Probably by the time it airs, we'll have our true production website up there. We've got a small one up there now. We've got a telegram to communicate with us, but the true production site will be out there on the 28th.
1: Great. All right, Eric. Uh, appreciate appreciate your time today. Uh, this just about wraps it up. Uh, thank you for, to all our listeners. Uh, again, this is Eric Ryan, CEO of Imagine BC. Uh, check the show notes. We'll have some more information in there. And um, we're recording this just before the Memorial Day weekend. So hope everyone enjoys their holiday. Eric, you
2: as well. Thanks, Matt. You too. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.